Hi, and welcome back to MBEF's In the Know podcast. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Ellen Padnos. I loved getting to know Jonathan Erickson, and I know you will too. Not only is he a thoughtful, brilliant, and great guy, he has a critical role in helping the students in our district achieve success. Jonathan works in Ed Services. He's the Director of Curriculum, Instruction, and Assessment. In this episode, we'll get a better understanding of how the efforts of Jonathan and his team are helping our kids. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Jonathan. It's so nice to meet you. Hello. Thank you so much for sitting down with me Mm -hmm. and our parents so that we can all learn a little bit more about education services and what you're doing because to you this is your world so you know all about ed services and the different departments but when you're just not in it Mm -hmm. education services there's just a question mark after it yes so and and sometimes we use a lot of abbreviations a lot mtss all that kind of stuff so So i'll make sure i I spell out and explain anything great thank you but thanks for taking the time i know how busy you are yeah so it's nice to meet you and Welcome to our district. You started in September, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, the end of August. Yes. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. Where did where were you before? I was in Redondo Beach Unified School District for seven years before that. Two years at the high school as an assistant principal and five years as a principal at one of the middle schools. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, what a great perspective you have then coming into mm-hmm. a, would this be called a district role now? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so okay. from site administration to district administration. Okay, great. Are yeah. you a Redondo Beach guy? Yeah, but it's great. My commute went from going seven minutes south to seven minutes north. Oh, perfect. So, perfect. <laughs> nothing changed in terms of my commute. Okay, cool. And do yeah. you have kids in the community? I do. I have a two and a half year old and I have a six year old. Oh, cute. Yes. Okay, cool. And you're right next to the high school. So you see what's to come. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so can you give us a little background on who you are? Yeah, absolutely. I started teaching math straight out of college. I went to Mona College here in Los Angeles, and I started teaching in the LA area. And I started teaching high school math, which was interesting because I was only a few years older than them. Yeah. Uh, But I loved it. And then after becoming department chair and taking on some leadership roles, I was involved with Loyola Marymount University in a grant they got for math and science education. And it went extraordinarily well. We had great results at an inner city school. And it turns out it's become a permanent department at the university now, the Center for Math and Science Teaching. And they do consulting work with, with districts all around. So that was that was a great springboard to my career going from being a teacher to an administrator. That's really cool. Okay, and we'll, I'll keep this quick, but mm-hmm. it's just so interesting. I'm sure yeah. other parents want to know too. What kind of changes did you make to a math program in an inner city schools that gave you greater results? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's some of the same changes that you've seen at, at higher performing districts too. But it's just really paying attention to teaching and grading for mastery. So instead of just having this idea that we're just going to go through chapter by chapter and you either are keeping up or falling behind, it's really paying attention, looking at the data. Why are all my students making similar mistakes? Going back and thinking, how can I reteach that? How can I reassess that? And constantly balancing this idea of not stopping to go backwards. But while we're going forwards, you're constantly identifying the gaps and filling those as you go. And like an assessment would not just have this unit's questions on it. You would keep including older questions to make sure that you're, the students are retaining that knowledge. Oh, that's 
Great. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting how little shifts like that mm -hmm. can make a huge difference in the overall performance. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you. And yeah. I see on your wall you're a doctor. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always fascinated by people who get their PhDs. So can you tell me what you your thesis is? Yeah, absolutely. Even though my background as a teacher was math, uh, I've always been interested in psychology. And I actually studied mindfulness and its effect on teachers and their level of job satisfaction, self-efficacy, resilience, and burnout. And basically the findings are that if you can teach some positive psychology practices, teachers will have increased efficacy, job satisfaction, resilience, decreased burnout. And that's really important because when we see teachers leave the profession, though the reverse of all those is why they say they, they left is because they're not satisfied or not feeling efficacious and they become so burnt out that they lose their resilience. Wow, that's a really neat topic. Yeah. Do you implement any anything that you've learned now to help teachers? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I, I've gone to almost all the schools now. There was a choice session at Miracosta and then at Meadows, Pennycam, and next week at Pacific, I've been doing a workshop with all their teachers where in one hour, I at least give them kind of the introduction to practices they can use right away that will make them feel better about what they do and who they are. And it's great because ironically, it's a very teacher focused workshop. Usually we tell them in professional development, this is what you're supposed to do for kids, but we don't often tell them this is what you need to do for yourself. Yeah. Leading exactly. the class. They're leading the kids. Yeah. But common sense would tell you that whatever we do that makes them feel better about themselves is going to have the transference to the students, right? Because a, a happy teacher will have a happy classroom. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> How could you not love that? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really, that's a neat thing to study. Great. Thank you for bringing your expertise here to the district. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. So I know you were hired in August. Mm -hmm. It was a new role. So I'd love to know what your title is and what you do within your role. Yeah, absolutely. So the full title is a mouthful. It's Director <laughs> Curriculum Instruction and Assessment. But I think it does a good job of kind of explaining the work of teaching and learning, right? So in, in plain language, my job is concerned with everything regarding teaching and learning in the district. And the ways that we get at it is through curriculum, which is like everything that we plan to do. Instruction is the doing of it. And then the assessment is how we reflect on how well it was done and then keep adjusting courses needed to maximize learning. Okay, great. So you're really looking at, what are there, 6,6200 kids in district? Yeah, I think 6,500. 65, okay, great. Yeah. So you're looking and aggregate at these kids and just trying to figure out for all of them, the classes yeah, that the make pathways. the most sense, the pathways, yes. are, are, are the classes working? Yeah, and I think the metaphor that, that we talk about in the Prop 28 meetings, which is the new legislation around additional funding for arts programs mm -hmm. is that in in this role especially you have to keep in mind the forest and the trees at all times you think of the trees as each individual student's experience what is it like day to day through their classes this lesson this assessment that experience but we have to also zoom out and think what is their pathway right what is the experience of um, a manhattan beach student starting in the preschool or transitional kindergarten all the way up through 12th grade and we want it to make sense um we want there to be pathways for everyone we want there to be entry points that was a big thing for music is that we have an outstanding music department 
um, at all levels. However, if you come to our district at a later grade, kids have been getting so much instruction, it's harder to find an entry point. So that's one of our priorities for next year with the additional funding is how do we make sure that if students decide later they're interested in something, there's still a way to get into it. Oh, that's a great, I was wondering how you were going to spend that Prop 28 mm-hmm. money. I love that idea because who knows in third grade if they like exactly. yeah. the violin or not. Some kids do, which exactly. is great and makes it the path easy. That's a big role you have within, <laughs> yeah. within yeah. our district. Yeah, definitely. And I'll just, going along with that idea and using some education speak that I'll clarify right after I say it is a big part of my role the site administrators and also our teachers on special assignment is to help with what we call vertical and horizontal alignment. And so vertical alignment is asking how does this class in seventh grade lead into the next class in eighth grade, lead into the next class in ninth grade and all the way up. So we call that vertical articulation is what is the pathway look like year after year. And then horizontal is saying you and I are both teaching eighth grade. English, how do we collaborate? How do we look at what each of us is doing? And then we can look at data and assessments. And whenever we do that, we want to make sure that it comes from a positive angle, not a competitive angle. So the PLC model, which is, uh, I'll explain that too, professional okay. learning communities, is really gives a structure for collaboration that focuses on highlighting success and sharing best practices, right? So if I'm an eighth grade teacher, and I give a, a, and we all give the same assessment and my students do really well on it, then I'm responsible for telling the rest of the department, this is what I did, this is how I did it, so that they can learn from that and have the same success with their students. And of course, we know that's what parents want too, right? We want parents to never feel like if only my student was with that teacher instead totally. of this teacher, right? Yeah, totally. the ultimate goal is that parents talk to each other and realize you know what, the teachers are collaborating so much that you're going to win no matter who you get. That, that is great. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I want to back up because you did throw out a lot of ed services yes, words. Yes, the jargon. Yes, which yeah. I used to just nod and pretend yeah. that I understood it all. And yeah. I do have a sense of some, of some of it, but maybe some of our listeners don't. Sure. And I really want them to understand what you're talking about because it's so important and it's yeah. helping our kids so much. Can you give us an example what's going on in a way that your work and the work of your team is yeah. impacting, say, a group of kids at the middle school? Yeah, absolutely. The There's four questions of a PLC, professional learning community, again, and they did a good job of making these questions not sound jargony. Okay, right? good. The four questions that, that you're supposed to just ask over and over again. and they, to, to the students? No, to each other. Okay. Because right? you're a professional learning community. Sorry. The basis of the collaboration is on these four questions that sound simple, but you'll realize quickly that it leads to very deep work. So the first question is, what do we want kids to learn? Okay, very basic, straightforward question. The next one is, how will we know if they learned it? The third question is, what do we do if they haven't learned it? And then the fourth question is, what do we do if when they have learned it to to challenge them further, right? Yeah, That's exactly. so cool. And now, here's how complicated it gets. Wait, yeah, can no, I, I'm just yeah. going to pause for one second. These PLCs, they're a group of teachers, say, eighth grade English teachers getting together yeah. within the English department. And this is commonly happening yes. throughout the district. These exactly. department meetings mm-hmm. where they're all collaborating on these four questions. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so the first question that sounds simple, what do we want students to learn? 
you could say what the state tells us, but really you want to prioritize it, right? And so we go through them and say, what are the most essential standards and what is the sequence that we want them to learn it? So that, that's a big discussion right off the bat. The next question, how will we know if they learned it? That's when you have to create a good assessment, right? And that you have to have something that matches it, that says, if this is what we said we're going to teach, this is the appropriate assessment, not busy work right. aligned to what we taught. Is that usually the test, the assessment? Yeah, it okay. could be a quiz, it could be a test, it could be a performance task, it could be an essay, it could be a presentation. Okay. It's just whatever you want. Performance task is probably the best phrase because if you're asking the students to demonstrate mastery, it's filling out a piece of paper like a traditional test, but it could be making a video, a giving project. a presentation. Yeah. yeah. So demonstrate is a, is a good word. How do they demonstrate mastery? Okay. Um, so then after you collect that data, you look at the students that didn't get it and you think intervention, um, uh, how are we going to support them? And we're, we're very lucky that, um, I shouldn't say lucky, we're fortunate that we've made some great improvements where we have airtime now at the middle school where they actually have t flexible time during the week where students can go to exactly the teacher they need to. So that's a great example of the system matching the protocol where you will do some intervention in class because let's say most kids struggle on it. Obviously, I need to pause and reteach. Yeah. But if 10% of my kids struggle on it, I need them to come to me separately during airtime or at elementary school during wind time, which is what I need, or during at the high school during office hours. That the idea is that if it's a small percentage, let's find the extra time to give them support. Now, Sorry. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Just because I'm trying to visualize how all this is working. So my guess is at the elementary and middle school, the teachers are proactively pulling in the kids who have not mastered the material yet. Is same at the high school or is that more students Yeah, it's so great. Yeah, we can walk through the differences in each because in elementary school, you're mostly with one teacher. So they have this win time, which is what I need time, where actually they're all in the room, but a certain group of kids that's mastered the material has a new challenge and we would call that enrichment and they're being pushed to to try to master something else the students that are on grade level are reinforcing that work or doing the next part of it that's what i was gonna ask yeah. so there's not they're not out on the playground they're no, no they're they all there lessons. everybody has exactly what's appropriate for them that's why it's called win or what i need okay and then the students that that perform the lowest on that assessment would be at a table with the teacher getting the most intensive support. Okay. And each group gets what they need within that one classroom. Now, once you get to the middle school, you have an actual period called airtime once a week where they can sign up online and actually creates a roster for each teacher to say, okay, these 20 kids should be with me for extra math support. Then as kids get older, preparing them for college at the high school, it's office hours and there's no roster, there's no system. You have to uh, it makes sense that you're basically talking to the teacher and saying, I'll see you during office hours, and then you show up to office hours. So I think the idea is that the support is always exactly. there, yeah. but we're building the self-advocacy yeah. so that when they get to college, they're not waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. They know how to get the help they need. Great. So a great question, if we have a middle schooler, could be, mm -hmm. what teacher yeah. are you signing up for during airtime? Exactly. And then that's just a good conversation starter with your child Absolutely. on where they feel like they need some more support yeah. and things like that. Exactly. Okay, good. Or Yeah, go ahead. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about TOSAs because yeah. I know the TOSAs, that role falls under your mm -hmm. organization. Absolutely. And I know that 
when I'm at MBEF meetings, there's a lot of positivity around the TOSAs and the work that they do. So mm-hmm. maybe you could speak a little bit more to yes. what subjects we have TOSAs for and the kind of work that they're doing. Absolutely. TOSAs stands for Teacher on Special Assignment. And um, we have um, eight of them currently uh, in the district. There's two that are working part-time, um, one at the high school who has two extra free periods and one at the middle school that has two extra free periods. And the rest of the day, they're teaching students. So they're what we call hybrid TOSAs. They're teaching and they're doing instructional leadership. And then we have six TOSAs that are completely out of the classroom, that are in a 100% leadership instructional support role. And and many of them are funded by MBEF. So we're very grateful for that because it, it is a great example of something that Manhattan Beach has that other districts don't. And the payoff is tremendous, right? Because as an administrator, especially at my level, I have that bird's eye view of everything and I can meet with principals and get into classrooms. But I'm a big believer that the farther you get from the classroom, the harder it is to still coach them effectively. And part of it is credibility. And I think because the TOSAs are coming right out of the classroom, they've some of them obviously still have a foot in the classroom teaching, they're in the perfect role of saying, I'm doing the work you're doing, or I just was doing the work you're doing, I'm here to help. And because they're not evaluative, they can build a lot of trust and they can, teachers can be vulnerable with them and really take advantage of that coaching role that's not evaluative at all. Oh, that's a good point about them mm-hmm. not being evaluated by the TOSAs. Yes. So you can be like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. And there's no, exactly. hopefully no judgment because yeah. we all struggle with things sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. That's great. Now, can you give me an example of, I think everyone's, every, we're all interested in STEM these days. Mm-hmm. So we have, are there two STEM TOSAs? Yeah. One so middle school and one high school? Have, no, there's one STEAM TOSA. We're trying, one STEAM trying to, yeah, another Ed jargon thing. But, okay. Um, Science, technology, engineering, arts, and math is why the push has gone to say STEAM because now we're realizing that art fits into that framework a lot more than it used to, especially with like digital animation and just a lot of design principles now really take aesthetics into play. So it's really cool. That, That's really you know, cool. It is cool. Yeah. That's that really cool. So, so, I was good because I was going to ask you yeah. why add arts? Why we add don't arts? think of it as yeah. drawing on yeah. a piece of paper. And it seems to become clearer, not to get too off on a tangent, that as AI and other things develop and more things become automated, one of the unique human contributions is that artistic eye, right? That yeah. that that is one of the things that still separates us from machines is our acknowledgement and appreciation of beauty that machines can help us make it but they don't appreciate it the way that a human does yeah that's really neat Mm -hmm. okay so i'm sorry so you have a steam we have a steam and your steam tosa is that the tosa that he's part-time at the high school no so the steam tosa is full-time oh i'm sorry yeah no problem so our steam tosa is full-time and supports everything from TK all the way up through 12th grade is working very closely with our makerspace teachers, which is another thing we have to thank um, for. And that's a real treat. I think it's one of the things that when I came to Manhattan Beach immediately popped out to me as, as maybe a little envy. Wow, I wish every kid in every district was getting this experience at such a young age because to have that resource of playing with things and getting exposed to engineering at such an early age it's so special because a lot of times students don't get there until way later. And even though um, 
you know, cognitively, they might be, you know, more advanced than obviously they've been in school longer, they're older. Um, there's something about the openness and creativity of little kids and right. the, the more opportunities you can give them is incredible. And so our Steam Tosa, uh, one of the things he's been working on this year is helping to unify the makerspace teachers because they're separate, they work at different campuses. And so back to the horizontal alignment, he's brought them together, collaborated, and there are very specific design principles, like a philosophy of design and sort of an order of how you do it. And he's been teaching them that, and they've been teaching that to the kids. So kids are getting the same access, but they're getting an even deeper experience now where they're learning something that many people don't learn until they get into their professional career. Yeah, if they're lucky. I don't think yeah. I ever learned yes. that. That's really neat. Yeah, it's great. That's a great example. Thank mm -hmm. you for that. Absolutely. When we were doing our little pre-interview talk, mm -hmm. I was really interested in what you were saying that you did recently at the high school. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think our parents w would be interested in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe could you talk a little bit about that, please? Yeah, absolutely. So the high school is our largest school, over 100 teachers. And so having a meaningful staff development is more difficult there on a day when they all like they have their aligned conference periods, which is great. So they also have professional learning communities. So the English department, math department, they're doing great work on their own. But as a whole staff, it's hard to have a meeting with all of them at once, right? Yeah. In collaboration with the administration, site administration there and principal Karina Gerger, we thought, let's give them choice sessions. And let's pick topics that have come up that they've been asking us about, they've been asking Tosas about, or they've been talking about a lot. And so the ones that we came up with was incorporating art in, in non-art classes, so like kind of arts in all classes, and that was led by our Vapatosa. AI, artificial intelligence, titled The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That's perfect, uh, yes, perfect was, title. Was led by our Steam Tosa. Teaching controversial topics was led by our Literacy Tosa. And then I taught one, or I led one on self-care and positive psychology that was in alignment with my doctoral research. And it was great. They were all really well attended. We got really positive feedback on it. And I think the teachers really appreciated being able to choose the one that was most meaningful to them. Yeah. And your topics are very good as well. I think yeah. if I were, even as a parent, yeah. I wish I could have peeked in on all of them. Yes. I, like I said to you earlier, I think they're all future podcast episodes because... I know personally the AI, the good, bad, and the ugly. I don't, how do you guide your kids? Yes, <laughs> you know, exactly. use it, you, don't use it, but it's part of life and exactly. part of the world. And they can because they sit in their rooms and do their homework. So exactly. And I think we have to look at history. I think the the thing I could tell I think parents and and teachers to hopefully lower their anxiety about AI a little bit is that when calculators were first introduced, people freaked out nobody is going to be able to do arithmetic anymore. And then when graphing calculators came out, people were like, oh, they're not going to know how to graph or solve equations anymore. And I think a spell checker came out and people were like, nobody's going to know how to spell anymore. And I, I don't think that's true, actually. Those <laughs> are excellent examples. Yeah, right? and, but every time one of those things came out, maybe not as much as with AI, AI people freaked out and were like, oh my goodness. But it's, I think people even freaked out about the printing press. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> so. The, so the human story is constant change, fear of change, and then eventual incorporation and embrace and at least a positive change. Yes. Right? Like we obviously know that there's environmental concerns and there's certain things that are as technology advances, 
some things make the world a better place and some things make the world a worse place. And that's the role of teachers and students, I think, is to exactly figure out what is the good, the bad, and the ugly of AI. In some respects, you can assign an essay topic, put it into the system, have it write an essay, and then say, okay, now that we know what it does, do something different. Yeah. Do something better. Which, at this point of AI's life, you certainly can. You certainly can do that, (laughs) exactly. And you can get some great ideas from what they generate. Yeah. But I think what's nice is these are connected, right? So teaching controversial topics can deal with things like how is artificial intelligence a good thing or a bad thing in the world? And then ask kids the question or students the question, what are you going to do now to embrace the good things and hopefully prevent the bad things from happening? Great. Yeah. Now, this may be a little bit of a segue, so excuse Mm -hmm. me, but I love that you had one of those teacher trainings on controversial topics because I think, and we're seeing it on college campuses now Mm -hmm. more than ever, what we need is a society and and you are doing the work with your teachers Mm -hmm. of helping our children to think critically. Do you have any initiatives that you're doing to help our students from the earliest age, or are you thinking about anything that can help them to learn how to think critically, question other people, question their selves, mm-hmm. listen, yes. all those kind of things that I think as a society, especially with social media, we're finding are so important right now. And it's almost like a, a new skill set needs to be taught to kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the category um, of this is called social emotional learning. Okay. It's the broad topic and it's taught indirectly and directly and directly is a little bit more of um dr kerry um uh, agrero's job as student services and and there is an anti-bullying curriculum that's being rolled out that's very specific like that teachers and counselors can do sessions with students that's very dilemma focused Mm -hmm. that might be like if somebody says something mean is it why did they say it? Like, how do you handle it? What's the difference between being an upstander and a bystander? Teaching them. Which is very important. Very important. I, I recently learned about that. Exactly. That's an so, important thing. So part of it is direct instruction, but a lot of it is indirect and just happens, especially through English classes and history classes. Yeah. Um, looking at historical situations, asking why people did the things they did. Um questioning in a critical way so that you can keep thinking about how to make the best decisions for yourself in the future. And you look at characters in novels and they always have their flaws and their good traits and it's nice to relate to them and help students understand that we're all imperfect, but it really starts with awareness and openness. And if we can teach them to become aware of when they do things that hurt other people's feelings, and if we can teach them to be open to other perspectives, to other points of view, then that ultimately builds empathy, which if you look at emotional intelligence, empathy is one of the most critical things. If we can nurture empathy, um, that solves a lot of the problems, right? Because empathy is this idea that you are understanding how someone else is feeling and you care about them. Compassion is another word that is connected with mindfulness practices that um, even if I'm upset or I disagree with this person or I don't want to be their friend, I can always practice compassion. Mm -hmm. I can always think about what is the compassionate thing to do? What is the thing that shows that I care and that I want everybody to feel as best as they can despite our differences? And just the whole perspective learning thing, right? Yes. You have no idea 
who I am or what I've seen and had access yes. to in my life, just like I have no idea about that. Exactly. About you. So exactly. great. Are those conversations happening with teachers? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, great. absolutely. And in fact, a great example is our literacy TOSA, the same one that did the teaching controversial topics session that was optional, had somebody from the Holocaust Museum come and work with all of our 10th grade teachers last Friday to prepare them for teaching the book Night, which is by Ellie Wiesel, a Holocaust survivor. And that was great that they, it's a book that they've taught before, and now they've gotten even more professional development in how to handle the emotional reactions and just all the different things that come with reading such a powerful book. Great. That is a great example. Thank yeah. you for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that discussion. Sorry if it was a little off topic. No just as a parent, it's it's their world. So it's just something that I think about a lot. Yeah. Hoping that they're being trained better than my generation was. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want our parents to know that you're working on or that we should be aware of that's happening in schools? Like yeah, I think now, especially as a parent myself, in years as being a principal and, and working with parents, the one thing we all have in common is we want kids to do well. Teachers want kids to do well. Administrators want kids to do well. And parents, most of all, want kids to do well. I think one of the biggest hangups is when students suffer. That's very hard for parents. It's, it's hard for everyone else too. But I think the challenge is that there is actually an appropriate amount and even necessary amount of suffering. That's how we grow, right? Yeah. And when you think of your kid and obviously somebody bullying them, that's completely inappropriate. Right? right. It shouldn't happen. We should be preventing it. And that would be a great example of a type of suffering that is preventable and never okay. And unacceptable, right? However, losing a friend, that that's actually part of life, right? That yeah. if you think about how many friends you have now from grade school, the answer is not a lot. Yeah. And a lot of the friendships in grade school are actually arranged by parents because you're friends and then your kids are friends. Yeah. And I think that's one reason why middle school, it tends to be such a tumultuous time is that what happens in middle school is students start picking their own friends. And that's hard because mm -hmm. they were in this arranged marriage, if you will, of the, my parents were friends with their parents or we had the same first yeah. grade teacher. And now they will grow apart from some kids and grow towards some kids. And there's going to be some suffering there. And I think as a parent, sometimes we think that's wrong. We try to intervene. We maybe even blame. But there is a natural process to it. And if we just think back on our own childhood, we know, oh, yeah, I felt terrible. I lost that friend. But then I found the friend that I'm still friends with. Yeah. And that continues in high school. Another example is a broken heart. If you were to say, do you think it's a good idea to have your heart broken before you pick your life partner? I think most parents would say yes. Yeah. <laughs> but when your kid has a broken heart, it's so painful, right? And I just think we need to keep reminding ourselves that even if it hurts, if it's the right thing, it's worth it. That's part of growing up. We want our kids to be challenged. We don't want them to get a perfect score on every test. We, we don't want them to necessarily have exactly the same friend group part of them finding themselves is realizing that this relationship isn't working. I, you know, didn't prepare properly for this. I know how to in the future. And I think the more that we can do as parents to um, let it be okay for them to have those missteps and instead of trying to prevent them from making any missteps, let it happen and then just be there to not judge and be receptive. And I think in some ways that's the key to really healthy partnerships with schools too, 
is understanding that the schools are doing everything possible to have a great experience for every kid. I mean, you you all got into this because you yes, love kids love and kids. you love educating love kids. But it's never going to be perfect. And when things do go wrong, the best thing we can do is just sit down together, talk about how much we care about the kids, talk about how to solve it. Uh, don't blame the parent. Don't blame the school. Don't blame the other kids. Get away right. from blame and really get to looking at it objectively. What can we learn from it? The school might have learned we could have done this to better prepare. The parents might have learned I could have done this to prepare my student. And then, of course, the student will have their own realization about what choice they made in a certain situation and better choices they can make. Thank you. What a beautiful lesson and reminder to all of us as parents, because I think reflexively, I'll, I can only yes. speak for myself, yeah. reflexively, I always want to protect my kids yes. from suffering. Yes. And then when I can take a step back and really look at it, I'm like, no, this is what I want. Yes. And it's temporary. It's temporary. There is an impermanence yep. to all exactly. things good and all things bad. Yeah. So just riding that wave and stepping back when we yeah. want to rush in and say, or even if we want to say something negative about a friend or a teacher, just exactly. decide with our kid. Yeah. That's, yeah. And we want them to be successful in, life, in life. And we know that the more healthy challenges or healthy obstacles might be a good way to put it because I know suffering is a loaded word, but we want them to be challenged. We want them to have obstacles and we want them uh, to get through them as much as they can with us rooting them on and not trying to meddle with it. Right. right? Let them climb over the wall. Don't try to remove the wall. Right. Give them advice, guide them, be there on the other side to congratulate them, but just keep doing that because then when they go to college, they're going to know oh, I'm struggling, I need to find the professor, but they won't be waiting for someone to tell them what to do. They right. will have built those self-advocacy skills. Right. And then the same thing will happen when they're finding their first job after high school or after college, when they're dealing with adversity in that job, because mm -hmm. it's gonna happen. We want them to get used to it. Great, yeah. thank you. Okay. And then last question for you, because anyone listening loves kids and mm -hmm. this district, like the way we, the way I do, what can we do for our teachers if you have done so much work on the mindfulness and helping teachers have their best possible experience yeah. here? As parents, how can we best be partner with the teachers? Even if like my son in high school, I have zero relationship with his teachers because he doesn't want me. He doesn't <laughs> want me to. Yeah. But how can we support teachers yeah. best? Yeah, it's great. Thank you. I think it's in alignment with what I was saying. And I think it changes throughout the years. I think in elementary school, it's really just about listening to the teacher as they tell you what the student might need to work on or what's going well. And just usually asking those questions like, how is my student doing? What could they do better on? What do you want me to practice with them at home? I asked my own kids teacher that, what do you want me to reinforce at home? I think that builds a really strong relationship because you're essentially making them collaborative. I think once it goes to middle and high school, the best thing you can do is really try to make your student be the intermediary and just ask those questions when your student says, okay, I'm struggling or I don't like this class or whatever, say, okay, what happened when, have you tried to talk to the teacher? What happened when you tried to talk to the teacher? Please try again, prep them for that conversation. Maybe even if they had trouble, a lot of times, if they're honest, they'll say, oh, I haven't talked to the teacher yet. Okay. Well, that's your first step because yeah. you're in the class. and. By, by putting yourself between the teacher and the student, you've added extra layer in the game of telephone. Ideally, 
the student and the teacher figure it out and report back to you. But if you talk to the teacher and then talk to your student, the student talks to you yeah, and you talk it's to total the teacher. Telephone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You've added this extra layer. And remember, the teacher is spending a lot of time with your students. So we want them as aligned as possible. We don't want to put ourselves in between them. And I think, yeah, in high school, that becomes the most important is, and I would call it self-advocacy or problem solving. Now, if the student either isn't making progress with the teacher or whatever is stuck, I think at that point, it's totally appropriate for a parent to, to reach out, but then you can come at it from that angle of, hey, I've encouraged my student to come on their own. I'm sorry if that hasn't worked, but now I'm reaching out to you. I'd love to collaborate to try to figure out how to support my kid. And I think if the language comes from that place of, I want to work with you, I want to understand your perspective of my student and how to help them, right. it's going to go great. Okay, um, great. That, that would be my Versus guess. the blame. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. it happens. It's an instinct that we all have to blame. Yeah. It happens in the car a lot when, <laughs> when you're driving around and somebody does something and it's that's somebody you don't know and don't ever have to see again. Yeah. So blame them for anything you right. want. Okay. Get all the energy out when you're driving your car. You can be angry at everybody that you're never going to see again. Um, I'm not, or depending on the relationship with the person, but I think like that's the difference is that this is the person that is with your kid all the time. So whatever we can do to nurture that relationship is worth it. You want to be working together. You're driving your car. You're never going to see those people again. So yeah. you don't need to spend a lot of energy on that. Okay, great. Thank you. I have really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, I, I Thank you. I've loved learning more about the TOSAs and the PLCs. And then just all of it was so interesting. Yeah. So thank you. It's Personally, I have two kids, one in high school and mm -hmm. one in the middle school, both having outstanding experiences. That's wonderful so here. thank you for whatever your role is, whatever the TOSAs role is. And a special thanks to the teachers because we're just, I don't know. Yeah, thank you. I love working here. I feel like it's an honor and especially the support of MBEF. It really does allow us to do more. And I'm in one of the best positions to see everything that's happening. Yeah. And I want to make sure that we continue to do great work with the support of MBEF and communicate it so that parents understand all the fabulous things that their contribution to MBEF, like how it's coming right back to their kids in these really innovative ways. Great. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, too. Yeah.